Hey beauties. So today's an exciting day for me because today we're going to kick off birth stories. And you guys, birth stories are something that I envisioned and dreamed about for this podcast since it started. And the reason for that is because I have learned so much from birth stories. They've become one of my very favorite things on the planet. And the reason for that is storytelling in general, but especially birth stories, for moms empower us so much with knowledge and education, and they inspire us to learn more and to advocate for ourselves and become empowered by that information. But the other the other part is that it is a true testimony of what can happen, of what's possible, of what you're capable of, of what your, you know, your possibilities are for your birth and your labor, but it also tells us, you know, what can happen in the real world, what happens in labor, what can happen in the hospital, what can happen in a home birth, what midwifery is about, what OBs are about, right? We gain a better understanding of all the possibilities within this world. And today we're kicking things off with Sarah Poland. She's actually an Indiana native, and she's a new mom to an 18-month-old little girl. And you guys, her story is traumatic, but it also has a really powerful message. And she wants you guys to know and you to understand that it's really important to educate yourselves and to advocate for yourselves because what you do now, the work you put in now, the understanding that you have now will impact what happens later. It'll potentially impact your postpartum. It'll potentially impact your next birth if you decide to have another child. Hear this story and let one of the takeaways be that if you don't know your options, you don't have any. All right, before we head into the episode, I really want to read a review from Sam or Jam. The title is A Must for Mamas and Mamas-to-Be, and this is on Apple. It's rare to find a podcast that covers fertility struggles and motherhood in a respectful and varied way. This is an emotional topic, but Sarah makes it informative and action-oriented with compassion at heart. Sam or Jam, thank you so much. That means so much to me because... You truly nailed it. I want you guys to feel empowered by the the information that you're receiving and, and taking away from these episodes, but I also really want it to help encourage us to be more supportive and compassionate towards one another because I believe this motherhood community is powerful. All right, I'm going to stop jabbering and we're going to get into the episode and hear from Sarah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Mama Inspired Podcast. Whether you're struggling to become the mama you've always known you're meant to be, or you're holding that miracle in your arms, hear me now when I tell you that you are not alone, and that on the other side of this hard, a brand new life awaits you. Hey lady, I'm Sarah Wayne Scott. I'm here to encourage a more enlightened, compassionate, and empowered mom collective. I believe that through guru guidance, stories from mamas just like you, and a whole lot of momspiration for me, we can begin to make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. So swap out the breast pad, wipe off the barf, <laughs> it's mama time. Hello, my mama-inspired mamas. <laughs> I am sitting here with Sarah Poland right now. Sarah's actually an Indiana native, which I love, and we happen to share a couple of things in common. One being, we both really love true crime. Yeah, yeah. I know that it's a lot of people are, are lovers. I have a lot of friends that are that are into it, but man, it's especially as a mom, it's like a completely different kind of intriguing and also super scary. <laughs> I don't know right. about you, but like, like should I be listening to this in front of my kid? <laughs> I, right, I know. <laughs> One of my biggest fears now, after becoming a parent, really, truly, is that Miles will get kidnapped. And I have this yeah. also feeling like, not that boys can't get kidnapped, right? Because it totally happens, but the statistics are right that it's usually females. And I have this feeling too, <laughs> this, this fear that because he's beautiful in this long hair, that somebody's going to think he's a girl and try to kidnap him. And that's going to make our chances higher. And so sometimes I lay at bed at night, like maybe we should cut it. <laughs> anyway, I'm so excited that you're here. And I know today's probably going to be a little bit of a hard episode to listen to, but I'm excited to hear your story. And I'm excited to kind of kick things off on birth stories and birth because 
as we all know, I'm, I'm pregnant. And, um, this is where my headspace is at right now is all the birth stories, good and bad and Mm -hmm. what we can learn from them. So I know that you're going to be educating and enlightening a lot of women and hopefully giving them some things to think about as they think about their own births. Yeah. That's the hope, right? Yeah. 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 So you are a, you're a newish, well, not newish mom. She's 18 months, right? Ellie's 18 months old. Yeah. Um, she's actually about to be 20 months. Okay. All right. Yeah. So getting close to two. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I would love if you would to start into your story. Tell us a little bit about what, what was your view of birth or what was your kind of your birth plan before, before even heading into the hospital with Ellie? Yeah, sure. So, um, I kind of had a loose birth plan because I had heard a lot of my mom friends saying, oh, like I had a birth plan or I took all the birth classes and it did nothing for for my birth. Um, My expectations kind of had to go out the window and just baby had their own plan. So I didn't really go in with a lot of expectations. And I think that's kind of why I didn't fight so much for myself because I'm like, well, you know, I could try all I want, but it just may not go the way I want it to. So my original plan was to go in and do um, no pain medicine, um, no Pitocin or anything unless it was absolutely necessary. And I wanted to labor as naturally as I could, as long as I could. And so that was, I had a pretty loose plan, but I'm like, I'm going to listen to the doctors and I'm going to do what's best for me and my baby, and this was our first. So, I mean, neither my husband nor I were really, we didn't have any experience. So we didn't really know just how much we could voice what we wanted. And how did you come up with those, with that loose plan or those thoughts or opinions you had on how you wanted to handle those specific things? How did you, how, how did you prepare for it all? Like, what were your resources? Um, so I just kind of went off the birth experiences of people I knew. I mean, my mom had never, um, didn't have epidurals with either my brother or I, and I'm like, well, if my mom could do it, then I'm pretty sure I could do it. Yeah. And I have a pretty high pain tolerance anyways. And so I just thought, you know, I, I can do this. I have like, my body was made to do this. And the whole thing with the, the Pitocin, I had been told that it could slow down labor. It could cause problems with the baby as well as an epidural. So that was my plan was to divert from those just because of what I had heard from other people and their experiences. But then I heard the experiences of the Pitocin, you know, speeding up the birth. And so I just kind of wanted to do as natural as possible because I believed and still believe wholeheartedly that women were created to give birth and men weren't. Yeah. So (laughs) so we can do it. That's right. Okay. Go ahead and just start leading into the birth story then. Sure. Um, So the doctor that induced me, I was, I was induced on my due date, which I had no reason to be. And I didn't really know. Um, The doctor just kind of came in and was like, we're inducing you on Friday. We'll see you then. And then just kind of left. And I was just sitting there like, okay, why? Like, what am I doing? I don't know the risks. I don't know anything. But I just knew we were getting induced on Friday. So we went into the hospital on Friday night. And um, and I even had people asking me, like, why are you being induced? Why are you being induced? And I'm like, I don't know. The doctor just told me that's what he's doing. And I wasn't, I was maybe like a centimeter and a half dilated at that point. And so I went in and got induced and they started on the, um, like the pill that they put in your cervix. Yeah. So they gave me a dose that night because. Isoprostol? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so they started that Friday night and then they gave me the other dosage of it Saturday morning and nothing happened. Like I didn't progress very much. So they tried the balloon catheter. They said, could we try this? Because we know you want to avoid Pitocin. I said, sure. So we tried it. It was awful, really hurt. And I was so happy when I got it taken out. But they tried that for 12 hours and it didn't work. And then they tried Pitocin because they said, well, nothing else is working. Yeah, because your Um, body wasn't ready. 
no, my body was not ready. Nothing was working. So they tried the Pitocin and I was on Pitocin for 12 hours. So I was in labor a total of 45 hours. Um, I never dilated past three centimeters. And so at hour 43, um, the, so they switched doctors Saturday afternoon. And the doctor that came in, she said, well, why were you induced? Why did he induce you? I said, I don't know. She said, well, you know, you weren't ready. But at this point, we've already given you stuff to induce you. We can't like stop it. So she was really good to work with. And she respected my, like, I didn't want an epidural, but she couldn't check me because I was in so much pain. I couldn't lay down. And so, so you, were ha- you were having, you were having consistent contractions at this point. Okay. Oh yeah. With, with the Pitocin, it was like all back labor. Yeah. And so she said, Hey, can we, I know you don't want to, I know you don't want the epidural, but hear me out on this. If we give you one and we check you, and you can have this baby naturally. We'll see if that helps your body relax and get it in sure. the direction that it was going. So, and she wasn't very quick to jump on it. It was like, I had been in labor for 43 Yeah. Hours. Yeah. So You're tired. Like, yeah. And I was in a lot of pain and I'm like, yes, please just let's, let's just do it. She said, well, if in the next couple of hours, um, nothing happens, we want to make sure that all this medication stuff is not going to have an effect on you or the baby. So we might need to do a C-section. And uh, when she said that I felt really defeated, but she set me up and she's like, you know, I have never seen a girl fight as hard as you have. She said, she's like, C-section is not the end all be all for you. You're young. You could have a V-back if you wanted. Um, but not many doctors in that network support VBACs, but she, um, she did the C-section it was at hour 45, nothing was progressing. So they didn't want to get to the point where something would have happened to the baby to do an emergency C-section. So, but everything in the vitals for you and everything vitals for baby, everything was, everything seemed to be going okay. The baby was respond, like was, was handling everything up to that point really well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, she just, she and I talked for a while and I was okay with the C-section and they did the C-section and everything went fine. And for moms who haven't had C-sections or like may have C-sections, it's really common for babies to inhale fluid during delivery because they don't get the push and pull of like all the fluids that they would during a normal delivery. So as soon as the baby is born through C-section, they have to suck all those fluids out and it can be a little bit scary, but it's normal. And they thought they got all of the fluids out of Ellie and they didn't, but they thought they did because she started crying a little bit and that's what they looked for. And so when I was trying to nurse her in post-op, she stopped breathing because she had fluid in her throat. And so she had to go to the NICU and, and I know it was not the doctor's fault. Everybody in the room heard her crying. So the doctor felt so bad and she was crying and she was right there when it happened. So, but we ended up having to spend eight days in the NICU. Um, let me know if you want me to stop at any point to, sure. to clarify. Okay. So it was only supposed to be five days because it, they required that hospital required a minimum of five days. Um, if a baby's in the NICU, okay. um, just to run tests, make sure they get all the grounds covered and, and everything. So, um, on day three, she had what's called feeding induced apnea. You know, like usually when you lay a baby flat to feed them like in your arm, some babies, their oxygen can drop too low when that happens. And so that's why you sometimes see people feed babies at an angle a little bit, like sitting upright. And so we had to work with like a baby physical therapist and figure out how we could feed her so her oxygen wouldn't drop too low again, but she ended up having to stay an additional three days. So she was there for a total of eight days, but everything ended up being fine. Um, she did have a small hole in her heart, 
which I, I didn't know this going in. All babies are born with a small hole in their heart, but um, hers was just like two millimeters, two or three millimeters too big. Um, but they said she could have that and live a totally normal and healthy life. Wow. So she's, yeah, she's all good now. She you wouldn't think she was a, a NICU baby or anything yeah. like that. And I get asked, well, how early was she born? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like she was not premature. So I always thought that too, that yeah. babies were in the NICU were born early. and All preemies. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know, do we know how long she was not breathing for? Um, it, it was only in a few seconds. Okay. I noticed pretty quick because I was um, trying to nurse her and I looked it down at her and her skin was blue. And I look at the nurse and I'm like, um, is she supposed to be like this? And the nurse is like, <gasps> and just like grabbed her away from me. And my mom happened to be right there. And she like grabbed me and like turned my face away. So I wouldn't like see what was going on. And they got her back, like right before they got her back, like right there. But okay, good. I can imagine that that would have been incredibly scary. I can't trying to place myself in those moments is, mm-hmm. is really hard, especially when you have been in the place where you've been, where you're probably still grappling with the fact that everything has gone completely different than you had planned it to be. And mm-hmm. I assume they were able to put, put Ellie on your chest after they, they brought her out after she cried. Were you able to yeah. get some skin to skin? Yep. So they put her on me right away. And um, actually the anesthesiologist, it was so nice. He took a picture of the three of us, me and Ellie and um, my husband, Marcus. And like, he's all in scrubs and I've got like the hairnet and my face is swollen with medic. Like, I was so pumpful in medicine. So much fluid. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's like the worst part of a C-section, isn't it? Yeah. One of the worst things. (laughs) So I had both the epidural and the spinal tap. And so I was coming off of both of those and it was, sorry, my cat's here. Holy. Very vocal. Sorry. (laughs) I know. Vocal for a cat. That's funny. All right. So, okay. So you were in the hospital and Ellie has been in there for unfortunately eight days. So a few more days, a few days longer. Tell me about those the days when she's in the NICU, I mean, you know, typically in a C-section, right? You're staying in the hospital for three days. So did you guys go home after three days or? So at our hospital, they have, and I'm going to come back to, to my three days, but at our hospital, they have um, NICU sleep rooms. So on the same unit where the NICU is, there's a couple of extra rooms where whenever the baby is healthy enough, mom and baby, it's like a mommy and baby room on the NICU unit. So baby is in the room with mom, but is still attached to the monitors and everything. So if something does go wrong, the nurses can tell and they're right there. Yeah. But it was on day three. So I was packing up on the mommy and me side. There's a NICU unit on one side of the floor and the mommy and me side on the other floor. And those three days, not having her in the room, it was hard. Like, she was on the same floor as me. Yeah. But, like, the lady in the room next to me had just had her baby, and I could hear her baby crying, and I could hear people coming in and visiting her. And I was, like, it it was, like, triggering for me because I'm, like, man, I wish my baby was in here, and I wish I was getting up and changing her. But it was also good for me after a C-section, after all that to just be able to rest and be able to have a little bit of time by myself every day, but also have the freedom to go back and forth. I still fed her. I still tried to breastfeed um, for two days after that. But every time I went to go feed her, I was afraid that she was going to stop breathing. So if the nurse left while I was trying to feed her, I like hit the nurse button like, you have to come back. Like, what if she stops breathing? And so at our hospital, there's a lactation consultant and they have to come and see a feeding before you leave the hospital, which I think is great. My mom said they did not have that whenever she, whenever she had my brother and I. 
So she had to come and see a feeding and I did get, get like two good feedings and I did not want to give up until I knew I could do it, but just mentally and emotionally, I couldn't do it. So she came to see me feeding Ellie and I just kept freaking out and pushing the nurse button. And so she comes to me to my room and says, in my like 20 something years of doing this, I've never seen a case like yours. And I'm actually going to encourage you to like, if you're pumping, pump bottles or they're because I was not producing enough because of my trauma. Like I was producing nothing, like maybe two ounces a day, even with pumping. So, um, well, when you're not having the baby latch on and they're not efficiently pulling that, it makes it a heck of a lot harder to make sure that the supply is up early on for sure. Yeah. So they were actually supplementing her with formula, which I, I was, at first I wasn't too happy about it, but I'm like, you know what? I'm already dealing with enough right now. Yeah. If this is what's best for her and I, this is what we got to do. So she said, I'm actually going to encourage you not to breastfeed because she's feeling the stress of you and yeah you're not producing enough, even with pumping. So she encouraged me to do what we felt like was best. And um, so we did that. But um, on day three of our stay there, I was getting ready to move to the NICU side and move to one of the NICU sleep rooms. And we were packing up our stuff and we were super happy about it. And the nurse comes in and was like, she has to stay an additional three days because her oxygen just dropped dangerously low. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, and I was, talk about having the rug ripped out from underneath you because I was finally getting happy and I was finally like actually happy about having a baby. And then I'm like, why, (laughs) why did she stop breathing again? But um, that was with the feeding induced apnea. And okay. so I went to go see her and she was doing fine, but I just started bawling and knowing, cause we were supposed to take her home in two days and they're like, um, she has to stay for an additional three. Yeah. So I was having a hard time emotionally and the doctor encouraged me to, but because I wasn't breastfeeding anymore, like they didn't need me to be there to feed her. So he said, why don't you just go home? Um, we lived in the same town as the hospital. So it's like, why don't you just go home, get some time away, get some separation. Um, here's, and I had the direct number for her nurse. So I could call if, yeah, if I wanted to check in with her. And, and I did um, before I went to bed. But so I went home. But after that, the next day I came and stayed in the NICU sleep room and visited with her and my mom was with me the whole time. So I don't think I couldn't have done it if my mom won there. Support is everything. It really is. Um, Okay. So you're talking about dealing with a lot emotionally and that only makes sense. And it only also makes sense maybe for you to have separated from the hospital where all of this happened, right? Where all the trauma Mm -hmm. was as much as you maybe wanted to be near your baby. I know Mm -hmm. that when we talked and when you sent me your submission, and your story that, you know, postpartum and feeling the connection to your baby and dealing with all of that was the hardest Mm -hmm. kind of part, obviously afterwards. So were you feeling that while you were in the hospital or when do you feel like that started kind of started to settle in? It's going to sound really weird, but whenever we brought Ellie home, so in the hospital, I had like all these people around and, um, I had all, all the support Ellie and I were doing skin to skin and I felt really bonded with her and then we got home and I really thought we brought the wrong baby home because I was not bonding with her um this is also going to sound weird to people who haven't had kids yet but she was bottle fed so she was at level one nipples whenever she left the hospital she like she's a chugger Um, (laughs) she does like she was also smacking my boob in the NICU because it wasn't coming out fast enough. So yeah. she would scream and scream and scream and not eat. And it was because the nipple flow wasn't fast enough and just little things like that. And um, 
So it was about six weeks after she came home. I went to go get her out of her swing and she locked eyes with me and smiled. And I'm like, okay, she knows I'm her mom. Like, come here. Like, yeah. That's when I really felt bonded with her. How long, how long after did you say that was? That was about six weeks. Okay. And what was your support like when you got home? Um, my mom stayed with us for another week. Okay. Um, so I had her there with us and she was really good about taking her and feeding her whenever I needed her to. But um, my husband had to go back to work pretty much right away. Okay. And so, but he, he helped me at night. I will brag on him. I don't know if he can hear me, <laughs> but he got up and changed Ellie's diapers and I mean, I had a C-section, so that was really hard to recover from. So if I needed additional time to get up, he would walk around the bed and help me get out of bed. Yeah. So ladies, get with a man that will help you (laughs) postpartum. A partner. If he doesn't think think you're hot postpartum, he is not the one for you. I love it. I love it. I, I don't, I certainly don't want to drag you into like a, a dark place, but I think that mm-hmm. with the kind of the mission and the mission, we, the mission and the message that we set out forth, I kind of want you to talk to me a little bit more in detail and in depth about these feelings and these emotions that you're having or lack thereof. And what, what do you feel like, do you feel like it was like once a, not that maybe dust settled, isn't the right term. But, you know, everything's so busy and crazy in the hospital and you're Mm -hmm. processing so much and you're right, there's people in and out and there's lots of busyness going on. And then you get home and of course, yes, everything's exhausted because you're dealing with a new baby, right? It's still busy, but it's a slow busy and it's a tired busy and, um, you know, she was in the nick for you for so long. So there was lots of people taking care of her. Right. And then you get home and a lot of this is falling on you, right? Mom's taking care of you and you're taking care of baby. So it kind of makes sense that we do have this postpartum stage that can come on for a lot of women because it's like things go, it's like night and day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, whenever I said I didn't feel bonded to her, It seemed like everybody else made her happy but me. And it felt like I didn't have that power because she was feeling my stress of everything that happened. Um, The first couple of weeks that we were home, we had people, this was before COVID, so visitors weren't so frowned upon. But we had a meal train from our church, so people were coming in, and this this was the buildup of nine months. Like People were excited about seeing her. And holding her. And I mean, I was proud of her. I was proud of having a baby and all that we accomplished. But sometimes I would just be like, am I sure I brought the right baby home? Was like, was right now a good time to have a baby? And that, that was just something I had never heard of. I had never heard of a mom not bonding with her baby. I had always seen pictures of like, you could feel the bond just by looking at the pictures. And I felt like I didn't have that. And so I'm like, well, something's wrong with me. (laughs) And, um, but so I posted on my Facebook about it because I know you follow me on Facebook now too. We're officially friends. (laughs) And so I do try to be like transparent with people and, and honest because that's, that's what people need. People don't need these little, like all these pictures of like made up homes and makeup all the time. Although you look flawless all the time, by the way, I really appreciate that. You're so funny. I use a filter. Everybody who's listening, I use a filter on Instagram and whether you think that's a good or bad thing. It's just like, this is how I view it. It's, I feel like the filter is how I see life in real life. So that's just like my, it's through my lens, but anyway, I appreciate so that. So now. I don't, I don't care. But, um, but people do need like the realness of like, you know, sometimes you don't feel bonded with your baby. You, your birth plan doesn't go great because we see all of these success stories, Yeah, but then you don't really see a lot of the, the not successful stories and the, the stories of, you know, doctors taking advantage of situations and, um, so that's. I just feel like people need more of 
that. And so I put on Facebook that I didn't feel bonded with her, but, but now I do. And some of my friends were coming, like friends I had known for years were coming out of the woodwork and saying, well, I didn't feel bonded to my child until they were almost two. And I'm like, gosh, wow. Like, I just, I didn't know that it was that scary common. It's a for things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, so I didn't deal with postpartum, but I mean, there's definitely <coughs> been times in motherhood where I felt things, emotions and, and thought this is clearly like, this can't be a good thing or a normal thing. This is how I feel. And it's scary to mm-hmm. admit it. And it's almost like, I mean, it's embarrassing and you're wondering like, is something wrong with me? And I don't really want to tell something, tell people that something is wrong with me or admit to this thing because it makes me feel and look really bad. And it's hard to kind of wear that externally. So wh- who was the first person that you were able to kind of admit this to? My husband knew a lot of it just because he was at home with me all the yeah. time. Um, I don't know that I really talked to anybody about it. Um, but after I made that Facebook post, I had friends messaging me and, um, and just how common it was. And it's actually really common too for C-section moms yeah. to not feel that bond because you don't get the bond of like, you you don't feel like you're the one that actually brought the baby into the world. Yeah, you don't get to and, actually see the baby coming. I mean, usually they don't, right? They might drop the curtain. It's very uh, rare that you get the full that's fledged. That's not for me. <laughs> I don't feel like seeing my intestines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense. And you know what? I will admit right here, right now that um, when my birth plan went drastically wrong and this was, I had time to prepare for my C-section, you know, it wasn't an emergency C-section. It wasn't gone into the hospital and things took a turn, right? It was at Miles's breach and I had to come to, I had to basically surrender to the fact that I had no other control over it because we were on an island and vaginal breach birth wasn't an option. And unfortunately it's not an option in many places. Um, Mm -hmm. But I remember calling my sister and aside from grieving this beautiful home water birth that I had dreamed of, I was scared that I was somehow going to resent him. Mm-hmm. And I, it's really embarrassing to admit that it, there's definitely a long period of time where I wouldn't have told anybody, but, but I told her that because I just thought I just needed someone to tell me that that <clears> wasn't <throat> the case or that if that was the case for, you know, like that these were the precautions we could take, or this is what would happen. But I felt like I was just afraid that I was going to feel like something was taken not only away from me, but that, you know, I did hypnobirthing and all these things to like talk to miles while he's in my belly to try to get him to flip and he wouldn't. And I just, and, and we didn't know why then, you know, that he was breached. And so motherhood brings out the most incredible, but also scary uh, feelings and emotions that you've ever had and that you'll never recognize. And mm-hmm. it is important for us to talk about these things because it, like you said, it's more common than we, than we think it is. And it feels so good when someone else tells us that they've gone through the same thing. Not that you ever want to wish that on somebody else, but it feels, right. It's not a club you want to be a part of. Sure. Of course not. But it also feels like, okay, I'm not this crazy. I'm not, a, I'm not crazy. And I'm not like, I, I don't need to go into a psych ward, you know, and they're a, a great mom and they've been able to mother their children. And you know what I mean? Like they have a great bond now with their kids. And so it's like, you can kind of see the future. Okay. So I want to kind of sit with you where you are now. How are you feeling? I mean, it sounds like you want to get the message out, but how has this experience changed how you look at future pregnancies, future birth? What are you going to do different? What are your thoughts right now? Yeah, that's definitely a factor as it plays into, into future kids. And so um, my husband and I have been talking about we don't know exactly when, so I can't put a disclaimer. Oh, we're going to try now. <laughs> Family, um, don't but, get too pumped. We're not telling, we're, we're not saying we're trying in the next few months. No, <laughs> don't put a, a date on the calendar. That's right. But um, so I told him that I do want to try for a bag, unless there's absolutely like a reason. Like I wrote on here what I want other moms to know. Induction is not necessary 90% of the time. 
So like 90% of the time, whenever a doctor is saying you need to have, you need to be induced, you don't. Um, there's other ways um, that it's just not necessary most of the time. It's okay to question and, it at minimum. It's okay for you right, to, yeah. to take a step back and think, okay, what, what are, are, is my body giving me signs? Is the baby giving me signs? You mm-hmm. know, how am I feeling? How's the baby doing? How am I doing? Are we, are we healthy? Are there any dangers going on? And if not, but, you know, yeah. Asking the questions of the doctor, like, why do you feel like this is necessary? And anyway, sorry, keep going yes. on. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> um, but I do want, want to try for a back. And I've, since the last time we talked, I've joined a VBAC group and one of my friends is actually a part of it. So I do want to try it. I want to do a between hospital and home. So I live in like Northwestern Indiana. So there's a birth center in Goshen that I know of, but it's like 40 minutes away. I know that's not like crazy far away, but that's the only like con about it. But, um, that's what I wouldn't want to do. And I know there's local doctors who support VBACs. Um, so unless there's absolutely a reason why I wouldn't be able to do a VBAC, I'm, I know there's ways I can stand up for myself. I told my husband, if it comes to my due date with the next kid and I'm absolutely miserable, please, 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 please do not let me be in. <laughs> Don't let me talk myself out no of it. No <laughs> matter how good it sounds. Yeah. No matter how miserable I am. I was like, I had Ellie July 7th. So it was like dead in the middle of summer. Yeah. And I was like, so hot. And I'm like, I just want to be done. Girl, uh, I, <clears throat> I'm due early August and I am already showing like at 24 weeks, I was showing <laughs> with Miles and we live in Florida. And I keep thinking about, <laughs> I'm going to be just walking around. So anybody who lives nearby, don't come to my house unannounced because I'm just going to be walking around naked all the time because I'm going to be miserable hot. Yeah. It plays such a, yeah. When you're in those last weeks and oof, you're uncomfortable if there's heat involved, there's, oh yeah, it's tempting for so sure. Lady, if you're super uncomfortable and you're only getting induced because you're uncomfortable, don't do it because you will be more uncomfortable after you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, I, I know we talked a lot about this and this is where I'm sitting, right? What's super cool. I think kind of about what we're sharing right now and our, and our stories together and these conversations we've had is that we're both kind of in a similar place. Obviously I'm a little few steps ahead because I'm living in it right now, but mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be back. I knew that, you know, I knew before even having miles that that was, that was going to be the plan no matter what. And so I'm definitely in it right now of all the research and all the birth stories. And what I want to say to anybody listening who has had a prior C-section, one of my very favorite resources is the VBAC link. It's actually another podcast Mm -hmm. and it's two doulas who have fought and advocated and educated themselves and honestly have been kind of the leaders in gathering as much feedback information and stories for mothers like us who want to have a different birth and want to have Mm -hmm. a back and whether it was things went really wrong or we were induced uh unjustified you know all these things they do a really really great job of of educating you on what those potential risks are and making you feel more comfortable what's really cool though is in these stories that women are telling which is part of what our mission is here is you're learning so much along the way you're mm-hmm. learning about all the different things that can happen in the hospital. Um, you're learning about all the different potential possibilities that an actual an induction could potentially go well, or the use of Pitocin or the use of an epidural can actually be used. If it's necessary, it can be done in a much more gentle way. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. the majority of time we hear stories or we, we see inductions, it's kind of like heavy and strong. And like you were just saying, it ends up being harder being induced. A lot of time, Pitocin is, you know, it's, it's stronger contractions. It's, it's no contractions. Joke. Yeah. It's, yeah. you will hear women who have experienced that and then have experienced just natural, spontaneous labor and contractions. And it's night and day. They'll, they'll express to you that it's, they're a lot more manageable, you know, a lot, usually they're a lot more gradual, right? They're not just so intense so quickly. And so mm-hmm. when you're, yeah, when you're envisioning your birth and when you're learning about your birth, it's really important to understand what those differences are going to be like, not only how they're going to affect the baby, right? Because that's incredibly important, but also how you're going to experience that labor because your birth stays with you forever. 
Mm-hmm. Right? I was just talking to my mom about this yesterday because it's like my favorite topic ever. And she said she could remember, she remembers everything, pretty much everything about my, my two sisters and I about our births and my mother's 60 something. I won't give her, I won't give her age away. Um, you know, and how telling is that? It's so telling that we remember every single detail because it's going to, it's a major moment in day or days of, of our lives and of our baby's life, you know? And so mm-hmm. it does, uh, it does pay off to, to do the research and, you know, I think you have to do even so much more of that. I think when you're going for a VBAC, because you do have to advocate for yourself a yeah. heck of a lot more, especially if you want <laughs> to choose a hospital um, or e- either way, because you never know how things are going to go. But yeah, right. it's not an easy task, but you guys, it's doable. It's really doable. So I'm really happy and excited and proud of you for being where you are right now and heading down this road and feeling as, as confident in your body kind of as you were in the beginning, even after all of this. Yeah. I still, I still know I can do it. I'm still a woman. Still hear me roar. I love it. I love it. Like there's a reason. Yeah. Why men were not created to have children because men get a hangnail and it's the (laughs) end of the world. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. So that's kind of cap things off with, you know, what is your message? I know we've kind of covered a little bit of this, but what is your message to mothers who have, maybe they're expecting right now and they're preparing for birth or they're feeling very like just go with the flow um, of just a loose birth plan, or they just want to go in and trust the doctors. What is your message to to these moms? Um, So I just kind of wrote it down so I wouldn't like be so scattered, but um. I had put like induction is not necessary, like 90% of the time, really advocate for yourself and ask, okay, like don't have the doctor tell you you're getting induced. Question why you're getting induced because it's not the doctor giving birth (laughs) and it's not the doctor that's going to have to live with the experience the rest of his or her life. And so really just advocate for yourself. I know as a first time mom, you can feel really overwhelmed with, you know, saying, oh, don't do this or do it this way or don't do it this way. Birth is hard. Like I tell people who I I told them that I went 43 hours without an epidural. Oh, I couldn't have done that. I, I had to have an epidural at hour like six. I'm like, if you have to do that, like, that's okay. Like birth is hard with or without an epidural, with or without a C-section, it's hard. And so just, just know that no matter what way it happens, like you, like birth is awesome. So really advocate for yourself and come away feeling strong about it, whatever, whatever happens. Yeah, it is so incredible. You you really do have to be your own advocate because unless you have really prepared your husband and usually they're great advocates, but this is all new and scary for them too. And they a lot of times are in just as a vulnerable state as we are, which is why doulas are so amazing, which I'm going to like, I will preach for hours and hours about getting a doula, get a doula, but you have to be your own advocate. Like you just, and we're not just talking at the hospital. We're talking about in the, doc, the the appointments leading up to it. And I think what you and I can testify to in our journeys is that I think so often we are so trusting of doctors. And that's why this podcast is so important. And podcasts that are similar about educating and enlightening women is you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know these things can happen until you hear stories and until you hear people tell you. So I hate sharing the scary stuff. I hate having to share the really traumatic and heartbreaking stories, but you have to know that these things can happen or you don't think they're going to happen to you. I never thought I was going to have to have a C-section because I had a breech baby. And therefore when Mm -hmm. it happened, I was like, well, you know, I had no idea what to do. I was devastated and I had to do all this research and all these things and learn about my body and what I could do. So gosh, if we can just like absorb so much knowledge um, as possible so that you know, we feel as prepared as possible going in. But I think so many of us on our first birth, there's so much, there's so much missing for, for right. even if you, even if I studied a lot, but it was all about a natural home water birth. It was really not a lot of stuff outside of that. So the, why it's so important. And we touched on this a little bit earlier of you'll forever remember everything about your birth. 
However, the <laughs> other part is if you end up having to have a C-section or things go differently, things are much harder afterwards, mm-hmm. right? We are now in a position where we're having to fight for a completely, we're having to fight so much more. And it, if we would have had a vaginal birth the first time around, it wouldn't be so hard. But unfortunately, yeah. we're looked at like now there's something wrong with us. And mm-hmm. whether it was failure to progress, right? Like you're, you're, a lot of doctors are going to say that too. If you had an unnecessary C-section and you were induced, or even if you weren't induced, you know, if you can't get it past a certain point, doctors will literally tell you like, unfortunately you can't get past six centimeters or nine centimeters. And you are going to think to yourself that that's the case. That's why we have to hear these stories and know that's not possible because that first birth Again, we can't control everything, but if we're educated and we understand really what our rights are and we can advocate for ourselves of what we know is going to be true for us and our babies and our bodies and what we believe and know mm-hmm. that we can't just trust what a doctor tells us all the time, we might be really thankful for that next time around. It yeah, just- and I'm I'm glad I'm listening to stuff like this before I have a next kid because I'm glad Uh, for what we went through I always say it's made us better people um you know NICU parents are not saying that non-NICU parents are not grateful for their healthy children (laughs) but we know it could have ended so differently not every baby gets to go home from the NICU and so um so it's just made us better people it's made us more educated and more um thinking more about what like what our rights are and just like everything that went wrong with my delivery and like, okay, what can we do better next time? What was the red flags that I should have seen? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm glad we went through it. So I can tell other people like what, what's happened and yeah. Better prepare. A lot of times we walk away with traumatic stuff like that or really hard <laughs> things like that. And one of the, I think small, um, wins we can take away or small blessings we can take away is knowing that potentially telling our, our own story could impact one other mother to have a completely mm-hmm. different birth than maybe she was set mm-hmm. out to have just because now she is going down another, another route of research or understanding. So I think that's, yeah, it's, it's worth a lot. Okay. And then lastly, what is your message to the mother who's had a similar experience or is dealing with trauma and experience of a baby in the NICU? that it's okay to not bond with your baby. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you. That doesn't mean something is wrong with the baby. It doesn't mean you brought the wrong baby home, but it's, it's okay. And it's natural for moms, especially with moms of C-section. I mean, I had the double whammy of the C-section and a baby in the NICU because you, it's like this instinct. Someone explained it to me that you don't want to get attached to your baby because your baby may not make it. And like, you don't, that's, it, it just sounds like, okay, like this is my baby. Why would I not want to bond with them? But yeah, but it's, it's okay. And to like, I was in it for six weeks, but I wish I had said something sooner because people were messaging me left and right. Like do this to bond with your baby. Like make sure you're holding that baby. That's something that helped me too, holding her all the time. Like it was hard to hold her all the time because I didn't feel connected to her, but I just held her all the time. If people are asking to hold her, I'm like, no, I'm holding her right now. I love it. That's great. But, yeah. Yeah, to, to tell people and to like, whenever, so the doctors at my hospital, um, before you were released, you had to fill out the hospital paperwork and they asked you, they just started this within the last couple of years. They asked you how you're feeling postpartum. Like, are, do you have feelings of rage or anything like that? And I was three days postpartum with a baby in the NICU. I'm like, can you come back like in a week from now? Because how right. I'm feeling right now is not like, I don't want you guys to think I can't go home, but like those things are normal. And just be honest. If you're going to a doctor, or if you're going to a midwife or whoever, be honest with them and they'll give you resources and so yeah, don't be afraid to sound like a crazy mom. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe having responded to one of your friends, right. That had reached out to check in on you and check in on baby. And you said, and you, if you were honest with them and maybe they would have returned a similar story, like how mm-hmm. different would you have felt in those moments? 
you know, if you had been able to experience that. So I think that not only does it allow us being, you know, not feeling ashamed and, and speaking up, especially to the right people, you know, people that your, your, your providers that are there to ensure that you're okay. And they're going to ask those questions, being honest about that not only is going to get you the right resources and help, but mm-hmm. it's also sometimes just someone saying the right thing and, or just giving some empathy or sharing their own stories can, can just completely change your world, even if it's only for a day. But, you know, if Mm -hmm. you kind of start that, you start that momentum and you start feeling comfortable talking about it, so much can change. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely okay to not be okay. Yeah. Like nobody expects you to do anything, but hold your baby and, and eat the occasional meal and sleep every night. (laughs) Yeah. So true. But and also to take advantage of the help. If you have the help, don't know like different people's stances on whatever. If you don't want visitors, fine, great. If you're okay with visitors, fine, great. If people are offering to bring you meals and you're okay with that, the meal train was a lifesaver in those first couple of weeks. It was really nice. For sure. And you can still do that with COVID. I feel like, you know, just make, just have us maybe have a box outside the door that people drop the food in and that way they're now staying and visiting. Um, I know it's really tricky with a newborn. I mean, I've been starting to think about some of that stuff myself and so totally doable, but yeah, you're so right. The support um, can be everything for sure. Getting, Mm -hmm. getting the help. Awesome. Well, I love just being able to chat and really appreciate you telling your story and, I am hoping that it will kind of inspire some moms who may be sitting in the same spot as us to really start thinking a little bit more um, in depth or taking a VBAC seriously and starting to kind of head down that road. Know that they can do it with the right support. Yeah, I hope so too. And that's why I share my story. And that's why when I saw your offer of sharing stories, I'm like, I'll do it. I haven't ever really, like, I've every now and then, like, shared my story, and I'll share it to, like, friends and stuff, but not really so much, like, publicly. Sure, sure. Well, thank you very, very much. I know many of all of us appreciate it. (laughs) All right, well, go put that baby to bed. I know that's important to you. All right. All right, it was good talking to you. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Bye. Yeah, bye. Hey mamas, before you peace out, if what you just heard inspired you, made you feel like you've got a new BFF, or simply reminded you of another mama, please share this episode or the podcast and be sure to tag me if you share it on social. My hope is to touch as many of you as possible and drive this mama-led movement. If you're with me, and I know that you are, please take a minute and leave a review. Hearing from you makes my heart so happy and your review could encourage another mama in need to hop on this journey with us. So let's make a pact. I'll bring the fire and in return, you help me strengthen our mama collective so we may together make the transformation from messy to truly inspired. Let's get it, mama.